Good evening, good evening, good evening. Uh, I, I also do want to say thank you so much. Uh, Danielle and I felt so welcomed by you. You've been very kind and gracious to us. And I, I intended to do this this morning, or uh, yeah, that was this morning. It feels like a week ago. <laughs> I, I intended to do that, uh, this this morning, but I, I, I want to take a second now. And I do want to commend to you uh, Andy and Harmony. You know, we get to go all over uh, the country, all over the world, and we see so many different leaders. And, you know, honestly, there's just so many that have just sort of gotten stuck in the professional management of ministry and church. And they're faithful, but, you know, they've just run out of energy or, uh, you know, they're, they're just sort of biding their time. And I, I just want to commend them to you as leaders that are burdened for not just their church, but for the entire movement and for what God is doing all over this island. I commend them to you and say that if you have not prayed for them recently, or if you have not affirmed them and encouraged them, you should. Because, uh, well, they might quit. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, 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 I don't know if they will. I don't. It's probably not true. But you would be at a loss if they did. And so I would, I would seriously, I would encourage you to pray for them and encourage them in every way you possibly can. I, I want to commend them to you. And all, all the people you thanked, I intended uh, to thank. Should I just do that in order now? That would be somewhat awkward. But, but especially, especially I, I mean, I really want to thank the worship team. I'm so grateful for your, your effort and your time. It takes so much time, doesn't it? Really, 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 really grateful. And exactly what Andy said, there's so many people, there's so many people that make things like this happen that you'll never see, you know, that you never know their name, they never clip on a mic, they're, they're not under the lights, they're in no place that they're visible, and yet, man, everything, everything, everything we do is dependent on so many who have served here, and I'm so personally grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. People in t-shirts and not in t-shirts. I'm sure there's people not in t-shirts too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, my intention tonight is um, to be brief. And the reason I want to be brief is because I do believe that the, that the Lord has done lots of things in our midst already. And so uh, my intention is to maybe say a few words that might sync some of that up and give us a way forward. And I really do want to create enough time for us to be able to, to pray and seal up some of those things so that we have a sense of being sent. Um, I don't know if you've had the experience of being in rooms like this and then you kind of move on to do whatever you do and it, it feels like you just hit like a wall of mud. You know, you like just... You know, it's like you move from this exciting you know, passionate environment, and the next thing you know, you're back at work, you know, your, your dog throws up on the floor, or, you know, like, just, you have to do, like, the normal, maybe it's you throwing up on the floor, you have to do, like, your normal life again, right, and, and this, you have this kind of memory of worshiping in a crowd of people, you, know, you have this sense of passion and vision, but it begins to fade. And I, I do believe that, well, that it's important to have a sense that you're sent from a place like this. 
and that uh, we love these moments. And I do believe, I really do believe this. I, I had a moment uh, last night, standing back there, I had a moment, I thought, there's pieces of this that um, they really do feel like heaven. You know, like the way people talk in the breaks and laugh and they hug each other and somebody's like cleaning the snot off their shirt from crying, and the, but they're kind of laughing at the same time. And then, and then, and then you know, the donuts, of course. And all, all of these little elements that demonstrate what it is to be the people of God. We do get a foretaste of what I think it will be like to live this way forever. And that's beautiful. And yet, um, we go right back into the places where many of us, it's just going to be hard. And it's complicated. And, you know, your email is accumulating. And there's voicemails backing up. And... And you hit your life again. And so it is so important that we have a sense of being sent by God and by His Spirit. So I want to make sure we have adequate time for that. Uh, this morning, if you weren't here, I, I want to just say a couple things briefly about that. Because I, I, my intention is for what I say tonight to sort of build off of that. So this morning, what I attempted to say, whether I, <laughs> whether I communicated or not, was that God's way of uh, sort of sending us into the world is by forming us in his love, that we are shaped to be grateful people because of the grace we experience in him, and that as we're sent, we often have to go backward to go forward. That as we take on new kinds of calling, often uh, we have to sort of reevaluate some of the pieces of our life that is not, have not been formed adequately to take on the next chapter. And God in His great mercy will come and help us revisit some pieces that maybe aren't connected all together. And that can be awkward and somewhat embarrassing, but it's God's intention to shape us to be the kinds of people that can bear the weight of His glory. That the word glory literally could just be translated weight. Not weight like pause. Weight like stone. Like the heavy weight of his presence. As the glory of God comes upon people and as he increases his authority, his glory, his weight, sometimes the cracks of our life show themselves. You know, we've, we've been designed appropriately for the amount of favor maybe we experience, but as God gives us more, more cracks appear, right? And, and that's not a bad thing. That's not, I mean, it doesn't even mean you did anything wrong. It just means that as God continues to put his hand upon us, we have to keep revisiting places of our life so that we are adequately prepared to take the next step. It's effectively what I tried to describe this morning in relationship to Peter and how Jesus is so kind to him and comes back and revisits some pieces of his story to send him into the next piece of what he was called to. A story that will help transition from this morning um, to the little bit I want to show you this evening. I only had an opportunity to see John Wimber preach one time. Um, I was an intern at the Columbus Vineyard in Columbus, Ohio, Rich Nathan's uh, the senior pastor there, so I've worked for Rich. And uh, we did a young adult conference in 1995. And so uh, those, those are old young adults now. 
<laughs> one of those old young adults, but we were young once. And so we did this conference, and John Wimber came. And for those of you that would know uh, sort of John Wimber's story, and you would know that at that part of his um, journey, he wasn't, he wasn't very well. He'd been through a number of cancer treatments. Uh, he was pretty sick. Uh, he was so sick, in fact, that as he would sit on the stage and he would preach uh, from the different chemotherapy and treatments he had, the, the salivary glands in his mouth had been sort of fried out. So his mouth wouldn't produce saliva. Does anybody, did anybody ever see him preach in this stage, this moment? Okay. So he's teaching and preaching, but he, you know, he couldn't produce saliva in his mouth. And so he had a bottle of pig spit. True story. And he would pick it up, and he would squirt pig spit in his mouth to sort of lubricate his mouth so he could speak while he's preaching. So, you know, he would speak for a few minutes, and he would go, and, you know, keep talking. He'd do this little funny joke where he'd be like, some for you, and he'd tip some. It's this whole thing. And I don't know if it was partly from, you know, the cancer treatment or, you know, what, but, you know, he wasn't entirely coherent all the way through. You know, I'd hear, I've heard him speak by recording in different ways, and, you know, it was obvious that, you know, all of this had had an effect on him. And so he's speaking, and it was kind of random. You know, he'd say this thing, and he'd say that thing. You couldn't quite tell how it was going together. And I was, I was sitting in, like, the second or third row, listening, and, you know, I'm just kind of like, Mm, this, this isn't going very well, you know, is all, is all I'm thinking. But there were two times in the talk, he, something happened, like it was as though the Spirit of God just fell on him, and he locked in, and he, would, and he shared a couple things. And one of the things he said that I've not forgotten from that day to this is in the middle of speaking, he was saying different things about the kingdom and churches and stuff, and then he kind of paused and he looked down and he looked up at everyone and he said, you know, people always say they want my ministry. I want a ministry like you have, John. He said, and he, you know, he had this little podium like this, he was sitting on a stool, and he leaned forward and he goes, no, you don't. And he slapped the podium. He goes, because you don't want to pay what it costs. And it costs you everything. And, you know, it's this arresting moment. I thought, he's right. I don't know what he's even saying, but I think it's true. It felt so holy. And then he kind of flipped back out of that and said a bunch of random things. And then when we got done, I thought, wow, this has been a rambly, weird thing. And he just said, you know, now the Holy Spirit's going to come and do some things. And we stood up. And it, it, I'm telling you, it was like someone hit the ground with a lightning bolt. There was nothing happening. It was just kind of a random night. It didn't feel like it really went anywhere. And he says, come Holy Spirit. And he just starts saying things that are happening. It's like someone hit the ground with a lightning bolt. And people are crying and crying out and, you know, shaking and all this stuff happens. 
Uh, so much so that a friend of mine had brought a friend of his that didn't have any faith with Jesus. That guy stood up and ran out of the room, drove back to the dorm where he lived on the university without even telling his friend, finds his friend like that night and goes, where did you go? He goes, I don't know. Something happened when that old guy started praying and God entered the room and I was terrified. <laughs> so he just ran, <laughs> which seems appropriate. <laughs> and him saying those things and then ministering in that way, it made an indelible mark on me. Something happened where I went, I think he's right. Page after page of the scriptures tell us that when, when, a, when a man or a woman is chosen by God, and they're set apart for a task, it is not an easy road. People often flinch at the idea that people are chosen by God, right? They flinch. They go, well, what makes them special? Or, you know, even to say the chosen people... It changes the entire story if what you believe is that to be chosen by God is not to be chosen to be special in some manner, but often what it means is you're chosen to suffer on behalf of what God intends to do in and through your life. I mean, there's a reason that through, the, the, I mean, the majority of the Old Testament, if anyone was chosen, they would pretty much go, no, no, that's okay. You know, I'm sure there's somebody else, right? I mean, over and over. I mean, have you, have you noticed that? And, you know, we think of them, oh, they're just incredibly humble. Maybe, but maybe they're just like, no, no. I don't want to do that. This is costly. It means that you'll rearrange my life. It means that if the glory of God comes upon me in that kind of power, the cracks of my life will be revealed. And as the audience increases, it means only the pressure increases. Listen, we should have told you this at the beginning of these days. I, 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 feel, I feel a little like I should have given you a disclaimer. Because the truth is, rooms like this and weekends like this are dangerous places. They are dangerous places to be because God can come and rearrange your life in a way that you can't put it back together. I'm serious. You can't just kind of decide like, oh, you know, I think I'll just do things the way they were before. No, no, it, no, that's gone. That, you, that all got wrecked because you put yourself in the stream of what God is doing and then you can't, you can't kind of go back to wherever that other thing was. I believe that is something that God is doing here. And here's the basic, here's the, the simple thought I have for you, okay? And this is, by no means is to create fear within you, but it is to create a reverent sense of reality. This is one thought I have for you tonight. It's just very, very simple. It's simply this. For cities to change, for the kingdom of God to grab a hold of cities, places, which is ultimately what I think God is up to. Not disembodied people, but, in, but whole cities are to be grabbed a hold of by the kingdom. And when you were prophetically singing for us, that's what you were singing. 
for cities to be transformed. It isn't some kind of magical thing that just sort of happens like fairy dust that falls out of the sky. Cities change because the church changes. And the people of God live within and respond to the kingdom of God in such a manner that it radiates into the the places that they inhabit. And for churches to change, it means that the people within the churches have to make decisions about how they will and won't live to align themselves more rightly with King Jesus. And for those people to do that, it means that leaders, just a few even, have to decide that they will live radically within life in the kingdom in such a way that their life then radiates the presence and the peace and the hope of the kingdom into their churches and into cities. This is God's manner and means by which cities and places change. And again, the scriptures from front to back tell us this, how God is prepared to spare or bless cities, sometimes simply on the basis of just one or two or three people. Think about how crazy that is. That there's times that God looks at a city and says, I will spare this whole city for the sake of a few. I will bless this whole city for the sake of a few that stand on behalf of these people. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, seeking hearts that are truly His. People that will say, I will give you everything. I will do anything. And we have to somehow reclaim a vision of how transformation has to begin with individuals. You know, it has to radiate outwardly. We have to stop wondering why, you know, this church or that church or this denomination won't do this, that, or the other. And here are the words of Jesus where he just says, why don't you stop looking at someone else and start looking at yourself? Why don't you stop trying to do eye surgery on someone else when you're half blind yourself? Why don't you begin to invite God into your life in a way that begins to... Do you have a vision? This is the simple question. Do you have a vision of how God could so radically grab a hold of your life that would radiate into the life of your church, and it might even radiate into the life of your city. Do you have a vision for that? I believe that this this is what Paul challenges us to in the middle of his great letter to the church of Ephesus. He gives us a beautiful exposition of grace and mercy and how God loves us and how he's for us. And then as he's going to drop it into sort of the ethics and the practice of the church, he has this beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that's really famous, and it's Ephesians chapter 3. I want to read it to you, but I want you to hear it as though it's a prayer for you tonight. And for you personally, but really for this nation, for this island. Can, Can you hear it that way? And, and if it helps you to just close your eyes and hear it as a prayer, why don't you just hear it that way? Or you can read it if that helps you. But let me pray what I believe the Apostle Paul prays, really for any church. Ephesians 3, verse 14, for this church he loves dearly. For this reason, I kneel before the Father 
from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> Talking about an oxymoron. Know the love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And listen to this doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oof. That man knows how to pray. It's in the middle of his letter. It's like he can't keep writing without this sort of leaping out of his body. He just pens it. I want to draw your attention to one thing that happens in here. He says, I want you to know the love of God. It's, un- it's unknowable, but I want you to know it. <laughs> I, want it I want it to... Cons- in, other, in other words, what he's saying is, no matter how hard you try to know the love of God, you still don't quite know it. No matter how wide you try to run around it, you can't get around it. You try to climb over it, you can't get over it. You try to go under it, you can't get under it. You cannot comprehend how much he loves you. So you should try to comprehend that. (laughs) And instead of that being an exhortation, it's a prayer. Because what he's giving you is a vision of like the kind of person you could be. Like what would it be like if your life's mission and goal was to try to plumb the depths of the love of God? What might happen to you? I mean, it's kind of what he's saying. I'm praying that into you. But this this little doxology is really interesting. He says, now to him who is is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I can ask and imagine a lot. Can you? He says, oh, he can do more than that. And where does he locate the power Where does he locate the power for all that we can ask or imagine? This part most people miss when they read this verse. He locates it here. He says, according to his power that is at work within us. Meaning Paul joins with what the scriptures say all the way through that God's primary means by which transforming the world is not outside of the people of God, but within them. And that God's intention is not to change the government structures that surround you, but to change you in such a manner that you are so transformed, you're so overwhelmed by the grace and love of God, that that begins to radiate out of you everywhere you go, everything you do. And imagine if hundreds and thousands of people collected together and that force is multiplied, it will shake cities and shake nations. 
Now listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for your city. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray pray for your government. Those are all things you're also told to do. But what Paul's saying is, is it locates with you. And here's the problem. Most of us don't have the right kind of vision for what a transformed people look like. Therefore, you end up in a room like this where we tell you, like, you should, you know, pray and seek spiritual formation and deal with the inner workings of your soul. And you're like, that's right. I'm downloading the Bible in a year app. We're doing this. <laughs> Let's do this, Nikki Gumbel. I'm in. <laughs> Come on. Right? Two days, three days. <laughs> you know, you get the little Pippa parts. See, you're all confessing your sin to one another. I see it. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, I don't know. You know. Should I read the Bible? Should I eat a donut? <laughs> the Bible will be there after the donut. <laughs> the donut will not be as good after the Bible, right? You know. And it starts with small things, and all these things happen, and here's why. Because what we start to do, listen, this is really important. What we do is we start to lock into the means and the methods, and we don't, we forgot, we lost a vision. Let me, let me say this really, really clearly. Spiritual disciplines will not change you. They won't. Only God changes you. Only the love of God, only the presence and the power of the kingdom changes you. All that spiritual disciplines do is place you in that waterfall. All they're intended to do is lead you to the sources of water that you might drink. That's all they do. But if you lose a sense of vision for how these things are shaping you and shaping churches and shaping cities, they get stale and dry so fast. And you just give up very quickly because you're out of sort of the momentum of a space like this. Does this make sense? This is really, really important. Dallas Willard, who many of you have read, and if you've not read Dallas, you really, really should. Uh, He was the head of philosophy at USC. He's a genius, and he wrote beautifully and majestically about spiritual formation. Um, To be entirely honest before you go buy his books, he can be very difficult to read. You'll read like one sentence and be like, that was enough for today. I'm serious. I'm just telling you the truth. It might take you multiple years to read one book. I'm just being entirely honest. But it's because he was that, he's that good. I mean, like every word is carefully crafted and placed, and, and, and he, he's a man that lived in an incredible depth with God. And Willard, in an, in an attempt to take some of his thinking about spiritual formation, how it drives and creates mission within our life and in the life of the church, he made a model that he called the VIM model. VIM, V-I-M, which is simply this. That in order to have motivation, you have to have vision. 
You have to see who is it that God is making me into. What is it that God wants to do with the church? What is it that God would have for a city? If you don't have vision, you're in trouble. And that vision begins to form an intention. So then you have a vision. You think, what if I truly was a peaceful person? What would that be like? What if I really didn't have anger? What if I stopped blaming the things that I always blame for why I react and respond the way I do? What if I stopped blaming those and I believe that the kingdom of God is more powerful than the things I blame? What if I believe that? Can I even imagine myself as the kind of person that wasn't angry, let's say? And I stop blaming the fact that I'm, well, let's say Irish. <laughs> that it makes it so that I'm angry. You know, well, you know, I'm Irish. We're feisty people. Uh, okay. Um, so the kingdom of God can't penetrate. Well, okay, let's, let's say Italian. They're not here. Um, <laughs> The kingdom of God can't penetrate the heart of the feisty Italians. And they're given a special pass. You know, anger, they're allowed to have. You know what I'm saying? Isn't it funny the things we give ourselves passes on? I'm not, I'm not really a worrying type person. I mean, that's not sin necessarily. I just, I just care a lot. I'm not cynical you know, I'm, I, I, I'm just a realist. Oh, I'm getting too close. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> because you don't have a vision. You've created ways to do that, right? And then you form an intention, and then and only then are means necessary and important to build rhythms of disciplines by which you begin to see transformation in your life. You begin to encounter the grace of God. The disciplines match the vision and the intention such that, and they fuel you in a way that you become a different kind of person over time. Does this make sense? But without vision, it just becomes like eating dry toast and managing your life and who wants to do that. So I wonder for you, what kind of a vision do you have for your life? How do you imagine yourself becoming something? I pray that you be filled with the love of God, that you would have power to comprehend. I mean, what would happen to you if the love of God permeated every cell of your body? Who could you become? And because we don't have a vision, we don't form an intention, which means we don't have a means. Let, let's put it in a, in a non-spiritual realm, and then I'm going to drop this all the way down and try to give us some homework. Non-spiritual realm. How many of you would like to learn another language? Let me hear. You'd like to. It would be great to speak another language, right? Okay. How many of you are currently learning to speak another language? Okay. Do you see what just happened? It's like most of the room is like, oh, that would be great. Uh, I, I've often said, you know, if there was a way to sort of like in the, in the matrix sense, this is where I'm dating myself, I'm getting older by the second, if you could just like put something in my brain and I just like know a language, I'm in. Just stick, stick that USB drive right in my skull. Let's do this. 
But honestly, learning a language, have anybody, has anyone here ever attempted to like buy the kits of stuff you read and listen to and you listen to the audio things and anybody done, anyone want to admit they've done that? Did you finish? It's hard, man. <laughs> Languages are tough. And so you do it for a minute and you're like, this is awful. And here's why. Because frankly, the vision to learn another language was just sort of cool because maybe you met a guy who's like French and you're like, ooh, French. <laughs> but, <laughs> come on, we're, we're telling the truth now here, right? Right? Ooh, French, I could learn French. But then he's not there anymore and you're like, eh, French, you know, whatever. You know, it just, it didn't, it wasn't enough to, to like, pull you through the, the, the rigor of like learning. Does this make sense? The truth is, if you don't have an adequate vision of what it means to read the Bible, of what it means to have a life of prayer, what it means to be someone who lives with peace and grace and kindness and self-control, if you don't have an adequate vision for that, trust me, you're not going to read the Bible. You're not going to pray. You're not going to find yourself as a person that's in worship regularly. You're just not going to do it because you get out of an environment like this and the rest of the world will form you and conform you back to its image. You must have an adequate image of Christ and a vision for who you become. This is what Paul's praying. I, I, want, you, I want you to see. I want you to imagine what would it be like. I'm praying this into you, and he's asking them to pray it into themselves so that they would be captured with the vision. And frankly, this is what it's going to take. It costs. And it doesn't just cost on the cool moments when you're on the stage. It doesn't just cost when you're at the conference. It costs when it's like, you know, 6.30 in the morning. And you have to go to work at 7.30. That's when it costs. That you're like, all right, let's do this, Nikki. <laughs> I'm in. Let's get this app out. But if you don't have a sense of like, what would it be like to be someone that loves the scriptures? What would that mean? You know, Nikki's great, but he's not, he's not that great. He can't overcome your tiredness or your desire to just sort of eat a donut or whatever else. So... Here, here, here's what I want you to consider, and this is, this is how we'll... I want you to consider in three categories. You don't have to do this tonight. I would encourage you as you leave here, spend a little time asking God for this, okay? Create for yourself, maybe out of what you've heard here today uh, or, or over these days, maybe out of something the Holy Spirit's spoken to you even. What is a vision for who you're becoming in Christ? What kind of a man or woman do you imagine being? What kind of character? What kind of attributes? You know, what, what, what kind of habitual sin or apathy do you have in your life? You go, what would I be like if I just wasn't, if I didn't have this dragging me around? What would it be like if lust wasn't a dominating force in my life? What would it be like if worry wasn't a dominating force? What would it be like if I just wasn't afraid all the time? Who could I be? What would I be like? And I'm telling you, listen, just at this level, there is a ton of warfare. I mean, just as you ask God that, the enemy comes quickly and just goes, oh, you, you know, you're just a loser. 
And you're like, it's true, I'm just a loser. No, fight through a little bit. Pray and go, no, what would they even be like? What can I even imagine? And then as you begin to do that, God might set within you an intention. You know what? I believe that's who God is calling me to be. I believe God is asking me at the place of my character, with the gifts that he's given me, with the heart that I have, I I have a picture of who I could become. And then only then can you begin to form a means, some models by which you've been to walk through this. That would be the first category. The second one is, I want to challenge you to pray for your church. Ask God, what kind of church are we? What would it be like if the Spirit of God fell in our church every time we gathered? What would it be like if we were the kind of people that were quick to respond to him? What would it be like if we were all the kind of people that were willing to sacrifice at a moment's notice for what God was doing? And begin to ask, God, what's a vision for our church? It isn't just the pastor's job to have a vision for the church. The people of God are to steward in prayer what it is that God wants to do. And I'll tell you what, your pastor is is supposed to be a coach on the field, you know, who's helping coach the team, not just everyone in the stands going, go, pastor, go, pastor, go, pastor. Bad pastor. (laughs) Trade the pastor. (laughs) Do not renew his contact, contract, new manager. Right? But that's how church becomes. Well, why didn't he preach this? Or why wouldn't he do that? Or whatever. Listen, you're on the field. Pray and ask God. Out of the life of what he's giving you, what what would it be like if this church became something? Begin to ask God. Begin to get a vision for that, and it might form in you an intention. You might go, that means I might need to do something different here. That means I might need to serve in kids' ministry. I mean, at the very least, it might mean I need to pray for my pastor. I need to encourage him. I need to encourage her. I need to bless them. Because, man, they're going to need a lot if they're going to lead us, right? Does this make sense? And then as you begin to see it, you begin to form some means, some models, some mechanisms. Same with your city. Begin to ask God as you drive through your city, God, what do you want to do with this city? Who are you making this city into? What are you doing? How is it that you want our, what do you want our city to be known for? If you begin to ask those questions, listen to me. These are dangerous things to ask. Because God might tell you. And if he does, it will mess you up. Some of you, God would ask to start your own businesses. That, you know, you are working along in a career chain as a part of a larger organization. And God's saying, I want you to start a business because I want you to change culture in this city. I mean, that's... Why would I do that? I mean, God might ask some of you to be in the government in your city, to serve and to give yourself away for that. God might even ask some of you to be pastors, be in ministry. He might. I'd be careful about that one. And and listen, as you begin to pray into these things, God will begin to speak and show you. And that then begins to change the way we behave. This is, what I, this, is all, this is what I'm trying to say if you're not hearing it. Don't just run out there and start doing random stuff. No, I'm serious. Don't just be like, this, you know, here we go. 
you know, wait, no, shh, just wait. <laughs> Pray, seek the heart of God, get a clear vision for what he's doing. I could tell you a thousand stories like this. <laughs> I just want to tell you a couple and we'll be done. For me, um, I read some of Willard's work, a guy named Richard Foster. I read a few different mystics, uh, Henri Nouwen, a few other people, and they talked about the power of solitude. And I went, that's what I'm going to do, solitude. Mm, that's good. This is going to be great. So, you know, I lock out the time on my calendar. You know, here we go. Three hours of solitude. <laughs> Boom. This is going to be, let's do this, God. And you know, start the timer, and it starts now. It's really quiet. wonder how you do solitude. You know what? <laughs> doing, doing solitude. Maybe I'm going to do, I'm going to do solitude. Outside. Let's do it. Let's go outside. Still doing solitude, doing this. Any minute now, it all happens. And grace, you know, I'm going to think I'm going to walk for my solitude, do some walking. Yeah. It's been a few minutes, so yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like I'm doing this right. Nothing's happening. This is really. I, I mean, I could probably read while doing solitude, right? I can. I need to be distracted from my solitude. And you know, as I read some more stuff, no, you can't. You know, okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be really still. And the more I would get still, the more these emotions would appear. And I'd start to get discouraged. And I'd remember a conversation from a week ago, and I'd be like, oh, man, that really hurt. And then I would think about things that I was hoping for with this or that, and, and it wasn't happening in the church or in my life. Or I'd realize I, feel, I think I feel pretty lonely a lot of the time. And these things just start coming. This is within like an hour. I'm like, there's two more hours on the clock. <laughs> this is the worst. This solitude thing is bad for you. It makes you worse. I mean, like, th this, is, this was false advertising. This is terrible. And I remember I, I, you know, I kept trying this, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And uh, finally, there's a, a guy I was sitting with at a breakfast. He was a Catholic priest. And look at it, and you know, he was like a legit, you know, Catholic priest. He had like the friar thing, you know, the, the robe and everything. And I looked at him, I go, this guy's got to know how to actually do this because uh, I'm doing it wrong. I just feel worse. So I looked at him and said, so you, do you do like the whole silent retreat solitude thing? He goes, oh yeah, all the time, you know, it's part of our vows. And I'm like, you know, I've been trying that. It's not going well. It's really bad. He goes, tell me about it. I go, I get quiet. And I feel really anxious for a long time, and then I start to get sad, then I feel lonely, and then it's done. 
It's like the worst. I, 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 what, do, what do you want to recommend? Should I read something? He goes, oh, it's really simple. It's like super clear. What's wrong with you? I went, oh, what's wrong with me? He said, oh, uh, well, you're, you're, you're obviously a busy guy. And you've probably been busy and active your whole life. So there's a lot of pain that's accumulated in you and a lot of confusion. And so when you get quiet, and if you're quiet long enough, God loves you too much to leave you that way, and he begins to reveal it to you. But the problem is, it's a little like you're a heroin addict who's like, you know, I'm just not going to do heroin for a couple hours, and I hope I feel better. He goes, you probably need like a big detox. He says, you should really pray, and I think you should take like maybe three or four days. Be completely silent. Just push all the way through that detox. And if you can actually find real stillness, you'll probably hear from God. And I went, oh, man, that's great. What a great idea. Um, here, here's the thing. Um, two or three days, that's like a really long time. And I don't know where that would fit my schedule and how would I calendar that? And, and he goes, oh, that's true. You're probably a very important person. I went, okay, okay, I see what you're doing. <laughs> However, I kind of am an important person uh, in my own mind anyway. And, and he said, you know what, here's the thing. Just do this. Just ask God for it. If it's, from, if it's God, he'll, he'll afford you that opportunity. And I went, okay. Because I knew God wasn't going to do that. Because God and I both know how busy I am. <laughs> so, so, of course you know, kind of half-hearted prayer, God, you want to do that. And it was interesting, in that time I was praying, another guy I met said, Jay, can you even imagine what it would be like to be completely still and know that you're loved? And I said, no, I'm not entirely sure what that would be like. I mean, I have have like a like a fantasy thought about that, but I, I can't embody that really. He said, you should pray for that. Okay. So sure enough, um, boss walks in and says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be gone for three days. I'm going to give you three days off. Would you mind staying at my house? You maybe watch my dog. Honestly, you just shouldn't do anything. Just stay, just hang out there. Read, do whatever you want. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> This is it. This is the thing. This is the thing. Oh, no. And I was like, sure, that'd be great. And it, and it went in a very peculiar way, which it tends to go for me, the way I just described. I was really anxious, kind of fidgety. Then I started to get really sad. Then actually, I was so sad and so discouraged, I fell asleep. I slept for a number of hours. I slept all the way through the night. So woke up. I was still tired. slept some more. Woke up, felt more sad. Then it was strange. I went through like this window of feeling kind of angry. I was frustrated. You know, there were things that I felt mad about. Like I was disappointed at a person or a thing and things that I wasn't giving myself permission to feel. They all just start showing up. And so I worked through that and I'm just kind of trying to put that in front of God. And then it got really quiet. I remember it was like the third day. It got really quiet. And I just felt 
I mean, it's just emotional because I, it was like I felt a peace that I'd not felt. Maybe ever, but definitely not in a long time. And what his counsel was true, it did knock me through a wall. And now as I practice, practices of solitude every week, um, a few times a month, I create different windows. It's not because I'm trying to have solitude. It's because I want to live as a man who's at peace. And if God doesn't tell me who I am, I'm letting everybody else tell me who I am. God doesn't come to me and say, I love you, I'm for you, you're, you're completely fine, don't be afraid. If I don't hear that, I'm prone to react to everything else around me, and so are you. See, again, a practice that had a vision became worth the cost. Does this make sense? The same is true uh, for your church. Uh, I remember I was sitting in a mayor's meeting, and I was a little discouraged about our church, but it was a whole bunch of mayors, the municipalities in Denver, and the mayor of our city stood up and told, talked about how we were partnering with, with, and he's an atheist, but how we were partnering with them to do things to serve, and suddenly I was encouraged. So like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I had mayor after mayor walk up to me and say, how do we get a vineyard? And each one I said, are you like a church person? I'm not a church person, but I know he's not either. So whatever you're doing, I'd like that. And something in, you know, to be able to put that in front of our church and say, man, the city wants more of us. I'm not asking you to serve or to church plant because somehow like, you know, you should feel guilty and like we need more people in the kids ministry. You know, like, but this is a vision. Do you understand? God is doing something in our city, and we need to be in neighborhoods. We need to be where God is giving us favor. What's the vision that you believe for your church that makes people say, I want to serve, I want to give, I want to sacrifice? When pastors are trying to compel people to do things they don't want to do, it's because they've not given an adequate vision of what's possible. And then, of course, you know, praying for your city. Uh, when we were planning the church, I hated uh, everything about it for a whole window. It was the worst. My team hated me. Uh, I did not like our church at all. We would gather and just kind of look at each other and cry. And <laughs> I remember in that window, Danielle looks at me one, one night. We're supposed to go and do some kind of prayer meeting or something. She looks at me and she goes, I don't want to go. I don't want to be with those people. I'm not going. And I'm like, you have to go. You have to go. Like, do I have to go? Do we, I mean, maybe we just don't go. I mean, this isn't working. And I was working at a Chinese restaurant at the time. And I remember just so vividly, I had waited tables that night. I had soy sauce splashed across my shirt. And I was driving to an outreach event. And I was thinking, there's got to be a way to just say, I don't want to go. And I'm driving to this event, and I look out at the city, the skyline of Denver's right there, and I'm driving right by, and I look at the city, and I hear really quietly in my head, I felt, I felt God speak to me and say, how many do you want? And, with, and reflexively, because so much bitterness had been cultivated in me, reflexively I went, none. 
I did. It was like, it just shot right out of my spirit. None. And I'm not sure I want the ones I have. You can have them all back. And it was like, right then, it was like the conviction of God just came on me. And I, I, I knew exactly where it is. I drive by it all the time. I pulled to the side of the road, and I fell forward on the steering wheel, and I just started sobbing. I went, how has it gone so wrong? And I just said, God, I want them all. Have mercy on me. I want them all. Give me them all. Give me favor, Lord, that your name might be lifted up. This world, this city is desperate for you. And I'd love to tell you that our church changed and it was amazing. And the out No, it was just as bad. <laughs> it was not good. There was nothing we did that was good. Uh, I'm just saying. But I changed. I changed. And I began to lead out of a place of faith and hope and life. I started sharing my faith differently. I started thinking about my neighborhood differently. And when you live infectiously like that, upset people either got to go or change. And that's what started to happen. People started going, man, you keep talking about all these people that don't know Jesus. I'm like, yep, and I ain't going to stop. So pick up an oar and row or try to swim back to shore because <laughs> this is what we're doing. But it's because it comes from a place of your own conviction because the Spirit of God has given you a vision that you must live into, and it radiates outwardly. This is how the world changes. Period. Can we stand together?